people actually weep at his performances. People paying hundreds and thousands of dollars to see him perform live. People losing their minds because of the gift that Michael Jackson had. They worshipped him. People literally worshipped this man. And you know what? Michael Jackson died broke and alone some five years ago. How often do we put our worship to empty things? When we come to this psalm in Psalm 66 this morning, we're going to see real worship. We will hear from the psalmist who has been satisfied by true and real worship, and he beckons every believer to come and do the same. I want us to investigate three ideas this morning. I want us to see that real worship demands a response, that worship is because of the character of God, and worship is for all people. I've simply titled this message, Worship. But before we go to work, let's pray. Father, would you meet us here this morning? Would you do work in our hearts? Would you draw us to you? More and more, Father, would you allow your word to fall on fertile ground in our hearts. And Lord, may it take root. And may it be effective. And may it accomplish what you set it out to do, O God. I pray, Spirit, that you would be present to change us, to open our eyes, to open our ears that we may hear from you. Father, I pray that you eliminate every distraction Father, you have not promised to bless my meek words, but God, you have promised that your word would not return void. So, mighty God, would you bless your word in this house this morning. And we thank you for all that you are up to. I pray that you would move me out of the way. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. One of the things I love about the book of Psalms is that it is a book of praises. There's 150 psalms in in this book, and 70-something of them, 73 of them, were written by a guy named David. This guy was a worshiper. He was a man after God's own heart, even though he had some major issues. There's psalms of lament, there's psalms of praise, there's penitential psalms, and there's psalms of assurance, to just name a few. There's all different kinds of psalms. Our psalm this morning is a psalm of worship and thanksgiving. And we're not sure who wrote it, but we do know that there is a very clear message in these power-packed 20 verses in our psalm. From a person who God has literally saved, and now they are writing to tell the world about how they've been saved by God. How God has rescued them. And they're writing to call us into the same kind of gospel-centered worship that they have found. What does this psalm teach us? This psalm teaches us first that worship demands a response. Worship demands a response. Look at verse 1 with me. If you have a Bible, put your eyes on it. Verse 1 says this. Shout for joy to to God. Verse 2. Sing the glory of His name. Give to Him glorious praise. Verse 3. Say to God... 
How awesome are your deeds. Verse 5. Come and see what God has done. Verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples. Did you hear that? Shout. Sing. Give. Say. Come. See. Bless. All of these words are commands here in this psalm. Not when you get around to it, but these are commands that we may see what God has done and that we may respond to it. That we would sing, that we would praise, that we would shout, that we would say, come, bless. This is worship. What this tells us is that the psalmist, he has really experienced the work of God And he responds to it. The psalmist has recognized all the power and the brilliance of God. And it moves him to worship. The psalmist is moved to sing of the glory of God's name. The psalmist is moved to sing and to praise God's gloriousness. The psalmist is moved to shout, to actually get this, open up his mouth. Novel thought. To speak of God's goodness and grace. See, real worship is the psalmist looking back over the rearview mirror of his life and he's recognizing the sovereign hand of God and it leads him to worship. Look at verse 5 with me. It says this, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. Get this. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever. The psalmist is literally thinking back to Exodus chapter 14. And he remembers very, very well how the nation of Israel was literally being hunted down by the Egyptians. Pharaoh's heart had been hardened again, even after he let the nation of Israel go. And as they're leaving, going into the wilderness, trying to make their escape, Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and he sends the Egyptians after them. And the nation of Israel, they look back and see the Egyptians in pursuit of them. And they begin to fear. And they get afraid and they say to Moses, Moses, why in the world would you send us out here in the wilderness to die? Is that what you're doing? We could have stayed in Egypt for this. And listen to Moses' response in Exodus 14, 13. He says this, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord tells Moses to stretch out his rod over the sea, and watch the sea be parted. And the nation of Israel travels through the sea on dry land with water on both sides. The Egyptians follow behind. Moses sticks out his rod, and the water closes up on the army. And the nation of Israel, they are freed. They are set free. They are saved. They are delivered. They are rescued. And the psalmist remembers this. He remembers what God had done. And he sees how God's hand is mighty, how sovereign God really is. And you know what he does? He closes his mouth. No. You know what he does when he sees 
what God has really done for him, he sits all stoically with his hands to his side. No. He lifts up his hands. He opens his mouth and he praises the God who delivered him some time ago. He worships. He thanks God for all he's done. The psalmist remembered how God saved him. And he is moved to worship. As much as I hate to admit this, um, I watched Kevin Durant's MVP speech and I loved it. As much as I hate to admit it, because y'all know I'm a Grizzlies fan to the heart, uh, especially because Russell Westbrook plays on the same team. But I watched his MVP speech and I was blown away. I really was. Um, it brought me to tears. I watched a man who is worth millions, who, has a, who had accomplished a tremendous amount, who's seen, who's seen a lot of success in his life, and I watched him stand on the podium and for about 30 minutes just give glory to everybody else. He talked about his teammates and he talked about the organization and he talked about his coaches and he talked about his family, even his dad with their broken relationship. And then he started talking about his mom. And there was nothing like it. If you haven't seen it, you've got to go watch it. He started talking about his mom and he talked about how they moved from place to place not really having a home. And he talked about with tears in his eyes how they came to get their first apartment. And it was a small and humble apartment. And he said he and his brother and his mom, they, they stood in the living room. They had no furniture. They had no beds. And they stood in the middle of the living room and they hugged each other and wept. He said, we thought we had made it. We thought we had made it. And then I remember listening to Kevin Durant after he's telling all of this story. He said, when something good happens to me, I tend to look back to what brought me here. There was not a dry eye in the place. See, Kevin Durant experienced a lot of success, but he knew that many people had helped him along the way, especially his mom. And he said, I tend to look back and remember how I got here. And that's what the psalmist is doing. He is looking back and he was giving praise to the God that loves him. He's looking back to see how God has time and time again rescued him. And he gives God praise. What about you? Are you moved to gratitude and worship this morning? Have you thought about how God has delivered you and are you moved to worship him are you moved to open up your mouth to praise the god who saved and delivered you are you moved to worship see so many of us cannot worship in spirit and in truth because we are too afraid of what other people will think about us we're too afraid that people won't think we're intellectual enough. We're, we're too afraid that our image will be tarnished. And God is sitting there saying, look how much I've done for you. Look how I've brought you out. 
Look how I've saved you. Look how I've set you free. Look how I've sent Jesus for you. We worship me in spirit and in truth. The psalmist is calling us to, to worship the God that loves us the most. How dare us, after all He's done for us, how dare we not give Him our worship? See, worship demands a response, but secondly, worship is because of the character of God. Worship is because of the character of God. See, we worship God for who He is, not just because of what He's done. Look at verse 7. He rules by His might forever. Verse 8 through 9 says this, Let the sound of His praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. And I love verse 18 through 19. It says this, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But get this, but truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayers. Verse 20, Blessed be God, because He has not rejected my prayer or removed His steadfast love from me. What does this tell us? The psalmist tells us that God is in control. That He is the keeper of our souls. That He is the God of great compassion. That He has a loyal love like nobody else has. And that when the psalmist thinks of God's character, it leads him to worship. It leads him to worship. See, we don't just worship God for what He can do for us. Rather, we worship Him for who He is. See, the psalmist literally leans into the character of God and he worships. He worships. See, sometimes all you have to hold on to is that God is a compassionate God. When the foundation of your world is shaken, sometimes all we have to hold on to is the reality that God has a faithful and a loyal and an everlasting love. Sometimes all you have to hold on to is God's character. When things are going crazy in your world, you still have the character of God to hold on to. When your world is shaken and the storms of life have come, you still have the reality that God loves you, that He cares for you, that He'll never let you go. You still have that reality. Listen, you and I cannot fully worship God, get this, without knowing who He is. You can't worship God fully without knowing who He is. I can't praise God like I ought to praise Him if I have no knowledge of His faithful love and His compassion for me. I can't genuinely praise Him. See, the problem with the church today is that we have made worship about us rather than about God. Worship becomes our little private sanctuary. And so if the music isn't played how we desire the music to be played, we, we can't worship. If the sermon isn't preached how we desire it to be preached from our favorite catechism, we, we can't worship. 
And we've made worship about us rather than the God who shows us great compassion and mercy and love. It ain't about us. That's what the psalmist is saying. He's saying, when I look at the the love of God, the grace, the compassion of God, it leads me to open up my mouth. It leads me to sing praises to Him. It leads me to worship because it's not about Him. It's about the God that loves us. It's not about Him. It's not about you. It's not about me. In fact, Jesus lives His life this way. Over and over again in the New Testament, we hear Jesus say things like, I've come to do my Father's business. So much so that as He is preparing to give up His life, He is in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating blood. And you know what Jesus' response is? Jesus' response is, God, Father... Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus himself recognized that life is not about me, but it's about my Father. Have you recognized that this morning? Is that the way you live? i got to ask myself as I'm going over this passage, Chris, is that the way you live? Or are you living as if life is about you? So, um, y'all know uh, that I got engaged recently, and, and I'm, I'm extremely excited, and um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, my dad called me on the phone to congratulate me the other day. And, and, and I've, t- I've talked about my dad before, and y'all know that my dad is, has been in prison all of my life. And he called me to, to say, I'm happy for you. I wish I was there. And this conversation that I had with my father was extremely peculiar because my, my dad began to talk in a way that I've never heard him talk before. He, he, he was never there all of my life. I'm 29 years old. And he's never said, I'm sorry. And so I hear my father on the phone this week congratulating me, and he's saying things like, I wish I could be there. I know I messed up. Mm. And it moved me. A man that has not done one thing for me, why in the world would that move me? Because he's my dad. It's not because of what he's done for me in my life. It's just because he's my dad. It's the only dad I got. And what the psalmist points us to this morning is worship is not about what God can do for you. But real, genuine, authentic worship is for who he is. Just because he's daddy. 
just because He's your Father who created you and stamped you and marked you with His image because He has a loyal, everlasting, steadfast kind of love just because of who He is. We ought to worship Him. We ought to want to worship Him. We ought to desire and long to worship Him. Lastly, not only does worship demand a response, and not only is worship because of the character of God, but worship is for all people. I love this. Take a look at verse 1 with me. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Then in verse 4, all the earth worships you. Then in verse 7, There did we rejoice in Him who rules by His might forever, whose eyes keep watch on, get this, the nations. See, in the original language, the word all, I learned this in seminary, get this, means all. (laughs) Took me three years to get that in seminary. This was written in a language called Hebrew, and the word all happens to mean all. And so what the psalmist is saying is, God is not just the God of America, newsflash. He is the God of all nations. He is the God of all people. So when I have gone to China, when I went to Honduras, and when, when I've seen of places in Africa where people lift up their hands and cry out to the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, when, when they cry out to the same God that we cried out to this morning in worship, I realize that God is a God of all people. That He is a God of all nations. That He is for all people. That He is the God of all. He is not just the God of the wealthy. He is not just the God of the elite. He is not just the God of the white man or the black man. But He is the God of all people. He is the God of all. He is the God of all. And it just makes my skin boil. When I hear people say, oh, you worship that white man's God. No, sir. The God that I know, the God that I worship, is the God of all people, whether you know it or not. He is God of all. And the psalmist understands God's intentions are for every tribe every nation, to see Him in all of His beauty and to worship with song, to open up their mouths, to lift up their hands, and to worship. To worship. In 1963, the march on Washington for jobs and freedom took the world by storm. Over 250,000 people converged on Washington. And I know you've heard the name Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., but you may not have heard the name Mr. Baird Rustin. Mr. Rustin was actually the architect behind the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. He, he created it all. He masterminded it all. And Dr. King stood up front and God used him in a mighty way, but Mr. Rustin was behind the scenes He was the architect drawing it all together. And one of the things I love about him masterminding this movement, this enormous march, 
was that he desired it to be a march for all people. And if you study your history, what you will find is over 250,000 people converged on Washington and marched together in unity. Not just black folks, but it was white folks and folks from all different ethnicities. And what the psalmist is saying is that is a picture of what worship is like. Worship is not just for one kind of person. Real worship is not just for poor folk or wealthy folk or folk in East Memphis, but real worship is for folk in South Memphis as well. Real worship is for folk in Fraser and folk in South Bluffs. Real worship is for all nations, all ethnic groups. It's for all people. And that's why I love the multi-ethnic church. Because we get to, in a beautiful way, wrestle with this. We get to throw folks who were raised in the AME church and folk who were raised in the Kojic church together with folk who were raised in the Methodist church and folk who were raised as Southern Baptists and folk who were raised as Presbyterians all in the same place to say, worship together the God that you love. And that's what the psalmist is pointing us to. That is real worship. God wanted worship so much. He wanted us to worship so much that He sent His only Son to stand in our place for our sin. As the band comes, to stand in our place for our sin. He, he, he was so out for the nations to worship Him that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. And His Son was obedient to death on a cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and He rose again on the third day with all power in His hands that you and I could worship freely. Where are you this morning? Have you, have you learned to worship that Jesus? How easily we go off and worship empty things. How easily we give our worship to our careers. How easily we give our worship to, to all of these things. To relationships. Even to our own children. We worship them. Have you given your worship to Jesus? This morning, once we close service, we're going to have people standing here in front. Some of our leaders and elders who would love to pray for you. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't given your worship to the God that loves you most, like the psalmist beckons us, I beckon you this morning that you would come. And that you would have one of our leaders pray with you that you may know the Jesus that loves you the most. Let's pray together. Oh God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who satisfies our souls. That you are a God who is a keeper of our souls. And we thank you this morning. 